Are you happy, Alderanians? <laughs> I did you a favor. It's so much easier to exploit your mineral wealth. <laughs> Deafening silence. Typical. Speak up if you object. Live with the Mundangerous Double Take in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Yishin. And welcome to episode 345 of Total Party Thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about continuing an old campaign or running a sequel. But first, the party drops the dramatic irony in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Julie Daubigny breaks all the rules in the Character Creation Forge. So, Shane, let me see. Um, I, f- I forget. Does your mother speak English with an accent? No. Okay. So my mother has been in the U.S. for 50 years. Mm -hmm. So she has like a little bit of a Chinese accent, tiny bit. However, of course, you know, I've grown up with her my entire life. And so like it just doesn't register for me, right, that she has a bit of an accent until like, you know, she says like a random word or or a turn of phrase or something, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, this happens a lot if you have, you know, friends – who like speak a, a different language from you natively, you know, you eventually just kind of forget, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this weekend, uh, we did a family reunion with uh, my wife's family, so my in-laws, and I realized I have forgotten that they are from Massachusetts and sound like it. Wow. I bet that was an extremely stark reminder. Was it your daughter heard their voice for the first time? Uh, that's exactly what happened because while I have tuned it out, she has absolutely not. She's two, uh, and went to Cape Cod and she's, uh, she's in like an order phase where she's like, these things go here, these things go here. Right. You know, so she likes everything to be the same. Uh, and she met her 92 year old great grandmother for the very first time. Uh huh. And this woman watched, you know, my two year old chomping on some vegetables and said, oh, are you eating some cucumber? And the two-year-old said, no, I'm eating cucumber. I was like, okay, I'm, pr- I'm kind of proud of you, actually. This is, good. This, is, this is good. This is why I'm not exposing my children to Philadelphia ever. <laughs> it's smart. It's wise. It's wise. Don't do it. Regional accents right out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to know that, you know, my daughter will not remember this, but it will be related to her for the rest of her life. Yeah. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but 92-year-old grandmother won't remember it for very long either. <laughs> Except that it's it's pretty much going to be the only interaction or experience that the two of them have together. So Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that was my weekend. I, uh, I had a nice relaxing Father's Day. I got a new shirt. You know what? It's like what you're like third Father's Day. It all blends together by this point. Uh, it's true. Yeah, and also like you know, there's an element of just like as a father, especially early on. Like, great, you kept them alive. Like you did the bare minimum, but that's also like basically the maximum contribution you can make. <laughs> so I'm only like. <laughs> Only just barely getting out of that stage with my youngest, so I mean, you know. thanks, thanks to patriarchy, it's a low bar. Well, there's you know there's several weeks there uh, or months there where like you're really not 
selling what they're buying. <laughs> Your job is to bring the food. You you bring the food. Not not their food, but food for the for the food for the food, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Amberon, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Lord campaign. And high in the mountains, the party is trying to stop the quarry from finding the gatekeeper's seals and unleashing the chaos of Zoriat onto the material plane. Above a plinth hovers a cube, about a foot across, seemingly made of stone. Greetings, it says. Primus has been expecting you. Uh, who is Primus? They wonder. The characters wonder. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Not the players, for, of course, Primus is the MacGuffin of the previous campaign, the Morning Glory campaign. The cube rotates slowly on its axis. Primus is Primus, it replies. The symbols on the wall continue to shift and move. The Kesh hobgoblins, it seems, found the cube when they arrived at the Caves of Chaos, and it has been helping them figure out how to fight Kirzen the Dalkir. The party asks if Primus knows the location of the Gate of Earth. Yes, comes the stoic reply. Why do you seek it? The party explains that they need to protect it from the quarry, and if the corruption is caused by a Dalkir trying to escape from the gatekeeper's prison, they'll stop that too. Affirmative, Primus says. Before telling them a story of how it was once a godlike being from the plain of Donvi that came to Corvair to work with House Caneth to create the Warforged, Four years ago, a group of adventurers claiming to have knowledge of the future tried to warn it about the Day of Mourning, but it did not believe them. They turned out to be right, and an experiment went awry, releasing a fiendish overlord from deep beneath the earth. Rather than destroy the nation of Seer, Primus teleported it away, swapping it with parts of Maybar and Dolur. The party realizes this is why they are infused with the essence of those two planes. Primus and the Overlord killed each other in the battle. Knowing a vestige of itself would remain, Primus chose to appear at the Gate of Earth, hoping to fight off Kirzen. But the Duck Killer was powerful, and Primus was weakened, and the vestige of Primus itself was corrupted. Before losing itself to Kirzen, Primus made a copy of itself, an imprint made of light to store its memories, if not its power. Primus became an entity called Nihilus and demanded sacrifices. The same group of adventurers destroyed its corrupted form and left with the vestige. Where they went, this copy of Primus does not know. But of course, now we can drop all pretense and the uh, player, the characters now have all the same knowledge as their players. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, except that it's been years at this point. <laughs> And so they have probably more (laughs) knowledge than their players. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But now I can be like, yeah, 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 you you know this. Yeah. Primus told you this. Uh, Both times, actually. Both times. Right. (laughs) So the party asks how to get to the gate, and the symbols drain off the walls. In common, a series of couplets appear. The adventurers who tried to warn Primus about the Day of Mourning said it was a prophecy written in the skies by the progenitor dragons. The meaning can shift and change, but Primus believes it has deciphered part of it. In beds of stone, the wasted kings reject their long embrace. The Dalkir, the warlords of Zoriat, were trapped in Kyber thousands of years ago. And ache to split the serpent tomb, but writhe in sweet disgrace. 
The dragons taught the gatekeepers druidic magic that they used to build the gates and bind the Dalkir. The final two lines Primus has less insight into. Stolen faces topple pillars, striking without warning, so ages may be born anew when burns the light of morning. Which of course is me, the GM, using every part of the buffalo twice and uh-huh. recycling the prophecy from campaign one and making it apply to campaign two. At the mention of dragons, Switch recalls the scales on the pillar in the library. Bramble volunteers that they know beings that have stolen the bodies and faces of people, and they are trying to bring down the gatekeeper's pillars. The last line still confuses them, though. The Cori want to prevent a new age in Dalcor, not create a new one. Grook and Primus warn the party that they believe Kirzen has begun corrupting the Gate of Earth, but they do not know the extent of the corruption or what form it takes. Then, an earthquake shakes the tunnels. The way is open, Primus declares. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are talking about restarting a previous campaign. So to be clear, we're not talking about like a reboot, right? Like, oh, let's erase everything that happened and start all over again because we don't like how it turned out. We're not talking about a mulligan. Uh, we have done those, Shane, <laughs> if you recall. Every uh, every campaign that I run ends up with a mulligan. You guys never mm. take it seriously. And then I force it into a campaign. Uh, and you know what? Sometimes those are the, the best stories, you know, like having to murder our previous party. That mm-hmm. was a mulligan. <laughs> Today, however, we are talking about picking up where you left off or picking up after you left off, right? Um, We're talking about either restarting a previous campaign or this could also be a sequel, right? It doesn't need to pick up exactly where the previous campaign left off. Although, you know what? This could be a John Wick movie. It could be the next second after (laughs) the previous campaign. It could. Or it could be, you know, a distant sequel. Is that how the, the John Wick movies go? I think so, right? Uh yeah episodes of 24 how's that, is that yeah it's too dated exactly. a reference <laughs> yeah that was the thing that was on television a dead medium it was not on youtube i don't care right uh except for this podcast which is not which on is youtube not on youtube <laughs> <laughs> fastest growing podcast platform not on it don't worry <laughs> it's fine it's fine uh so I think before you undertake the task, either as a GM or as a table of restarting a previous campaign, think about why you want to do that. And do you even need to? Because like it's a lot of work. And you know what? There are a lot of adventure paths out there. There are a lot of new ideas. There are a lot of other GMs sitting at your table right now who could be running totally different games. Yeah, and then, you know, a lot of times there's continuity between characters, either the players, characters, or NPCs, things like that. Like, do you want to resurrect all that stuff, or do you want to do new things? And I think, obviously, if you have consensus at the table, yeah, we want to revisit this, let's do this again, we like the setting, we like the story we told, we like those characters, whatever, then obviously you do it. And if you've got, you know, a majority of people who are like, I think I am interested in this, then you know, consider it. And mm-hmm. here's how you might do it. So first off, it's going to require a fair bit of setup. I don't think that you should probably just 
dive right into it again. I mean, Shane, I know you are considering this with our Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. Mm-hmm. In that, there's an entirely new uh, Dark Heresy system available that we've never played before, but it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks infinitely more playable than uh, Wrath and Glory. This is uh, Imperium Maledictum from Cubicle 7, so uh, it, it seems to be Dark Heresy 3.0. Right. Mm-hmm. And since we played the first campaign in Dark Heresy 2.0, it perhaps would be relatively seamless. But but the seamlessness, right, is about understanding what's important about rebooting the campaign, right? Like, is it that we want to play the same characters and see where the rest of their story goes? Like, we ended on this cliffhanger of, like, Doc dies. <laughs> like, Doc is completely corrupted. Uh, what happens? He, he got what he deserved. Well, but do we want to play that? Like, do we want Maybe. to see corrupted Doc? I know. Or... I know you. You want to see Cameron play out the end of his character. I yes, I'm very annoyed that he wasn't there for the finale, <laughs> for the finale. of his arc. <laughs> yes. So you know that might be one reason that you do want to revisit a previous campaign. It's unfinished business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think though, like, what often happens when you're sort of dusting off an old campaign. You know, there's someone who has the impetus. Often it's the GM who's like, oh, do you remember? Remember the glory days? But also sometimes this is the campaign that all of you have told stories about throughout the years, right? Especially if you have a long-running gaming group, you might be like, do you remember that thing we played 20 years ago or five years ago or whatever, right? Um, or you get nostalgic. Oh, man, my, my first campaign with this group. Uh, but things change in the telling, so I think the first thing you really need to do is all sort of get on the same page about what actually happened, right? And it doesn't need to be like a play-by-play of everything, but I, I think you sort of want it, to... It, it's very helpful to have some sort of recap. If you had been writing recaps, and we have episodes about how to do that, those are great because people can just go back and read them, although people won't. So you can have, you know, someone should go back and read them the and GM refresh their memory. Them. Yeah, yes. exactly. And then, you know, do a recap of the recaps or some sort of recap to, and like send it to people or like, I don't know, tell it, communicate it in some way so that people are like, oh, right, right. I forgot that happened or that person existed or I did that or whatever. Yeah. And, and if that isn't um, if that isn't readily available, right, which is also fairly common, um, I think it is helpful to kind of pass the hat on. Hey, what were the key moments that you remember? Like, what were the big things that, like, as a group, we remember about that? And then as a GM, all you have to do is make sure that you piece together how they all fit, right? Why did that, you know, why were we in that country, right? Like, what was that necromancer that we dealt with, like, when we were level two? I forgot all about that, right? And then you all, you know what the formative events of the campaign were because those are the ones that the players mentioned, now you can go from that as the basis and you don't have to worry about all the minutia in between. Yeah, one of the nice things about revisiting an old campaign and Shane, you and I have both experienced this in sort of the retelling of campaigns we have run here on this podcast is that in the retelling, in like the second go through, some things can be slightly tweaked to make them, oh, I don't know, make sense or, or connect or 
right? Like you don't have to like change endings, but you, if, if people have holes in their memories or people are telling stories or whatever, and someone is putting together a recap or, or in some way a recap is being communicated to people, you can use that process to smooth it out, to like trim off some of the, the plot threads that didn't go anywhere and aren't going to be important or aren't going to be resurrected. And to like, create a more cohesive narrative that you use as the nut from which a sequel can grow from. Yeah. And then you're also like, you're looking to clean up the narrative in a way that like in the retelling, you don't need the same dramatic beats, right? Like you don't need the mystery revealed. You don't need the like, Oh, we finally figured out what it means, right? Like you can go from, okay, well you learned this is what it means. Here's how you got there. Right. And so like you aren't worried about spoiling an ending or anything like that. Right. It's about building a consensus and a common understanding on which to build season two. Right. It's not about reliving the horror of us getting captured by Dark Eldar and then, you know, dealing with their sort of macabre sense of humor. Right. Like that was the playing of the campaign. We all remember that happened. There's no like terror lurking around the corner. It's it's the the shared trauma of having lived through it. <laughs> right. But, you know, the the important parts of that event are things like you got allies out of it, right? <laughs> like you had an incubus who accompanied you. You had uh, a veritable army of orcs that led to two port uh, massacres of Port Aquila. Uh so far. So, <laughs> thus yeah, exactly. That we know of. So <laughs> that's like, why I, that's why I want a sequel. Right. And so like th that's what's important, right? Like those are the key takeaways. You don't have to uh, we don't have to go through like, you know, just how many chemicals you shoved up your butts in order to smuggle them. Many, many. It's like 100 uh, percent of them. But like we don't need to know which is which. <laughs> so you alluded to this. Um, go through the highlights of the campaign so that you know what is important to people to touch on again, right? What was important to, like, find out what was important to the characters themselves? Uh, what was it that they discovered or accomplished? Um, who were the uh, companions that they met? Who were the the ones that they lost? Like, what, what were the important moments in those, those people's lives? Mm -hmm. And this means that like, once you know those things, then you can, in some sense, sort of hold them sacred. And I mean, like, I think one problem of like movie sequels, for example, is it will completely undercut all of the successes of the characters in the first movie. Yep. Uh, either, you know, your favorite character from movie one dies immediately to set up the, the big threat of movie two or whatever, right? Or the thing that was accomplished turns out to like be a, a negative thing or whatever. And that might work in movie media that you're watching for two hours it is not going to work in a campaign that you're playing for you know a hundred hours or more with a group around a table for potentially years make sure that like not only are you not undermining their accomplishments but you're establishing a legacy for each of them right like there is some lasting effect on uh, if not the world, then at least on the next campaign that can be attributed to each of their characters, right? Because that's what makes it feel like a continuation and not just a fresh new campaign. Yeah, and there are lots of ways you could do this. Like we talked about this a, 
a couple of weeks ago, legacy items, right? Like something that was owned by uh, one of the characters and maybe they died, maybe they didn't, but, you know, it has been imbued with some quality of themselves. Maybe it's a magic item, maybe it's historical, whatever, right? Um, it could be um, uh, a child, right? Or a relative or whatever. Because remember, you're not necessarily going to be playing with the exact same characters. You could be playing with some of the same characters. You could be playing with none of them and they all have some sort of tie to the the previous ones. Or maybe it's just a continuation of the storyline. But it's nice to have something that lingers or lasts from the characters in the previous campaign. And then as you're building out what the story is going to look like, uh, as you sort of like jump jump into the second arc, if you will, of what was already a completed story, right? Like this is this is the Empire Strikes Back, hopefully, and not Temple of Doom. In that, hopefully, it's stronger and not weaker than the first one. Uh, what theme, or what event, or or what villain, or whatever carries forward into part two? And then the inverse, what are you dropping or quietly retconning um, to remove for uh, for the next go round? Yeah, like what didn't work? Great. Leave it. <laughs> Cutting room floor. It's fine. Um, and then all of that is to feed into an overarching theme or purpose uh, of this campaign, right? The To answer the question, why are we doing this, right? Again, like what's the purpose of doing a restart, a reboot, a season two, rather than doing one of any of the, you know, infinite number of other possibilities. Yeah, so if we sort of take this to, like, Dynasty Unwarranted, right? Like, an obvious route to go, like, why do we want to, like, what is the theme or purpose is the continuing adventures of this Motley crew, right? Like, we just want to know more stuff that happens to these people. The the story isn't really necessarily over yet. Mm -hmm. But I could also see, like, us doing a time skip, You've talked about, you know, potentially doing that at some point where like we have some of the same characters or none of the same characters or whatever. Maybe the ship is the same and that's it. Right. Uh, but there is some through line. It, it is either like the same dynasty. Right. And Sylvia Lionheart's, I don't know, great, 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 great grandnephew is now the rogue trader. Right. All, right. A, a, any of those would work. Yeah. Or you are like your characters continue being who they are right which is a basically rogue trader by committee um but the next generation is the poor saps who have to go execute the missions that they get sent on by the rogue trader by committee that leads their dynasty (laughs) right right Right. we're back in the trenches with these new characters yeah (laughs) or it could even just be you know maybe it's not a rogue trader game right maybe it's the continuing adventures of whatever planet it was that we finally owned and controlled and are now trying to terraform away from a death world. Yes. <laughs> the adventures of Bell Iblis. <laughs> <laughs> that place sucks. Well, it used to, actually. Well, I mean... It's the Imperial speaking, story. We do know something that happened. We do we do know quite a bit of what will end up happening to Belliblis because that is the homeworld of your regiment in our uh, Legion of Lasguns game. So, strictly speaking, we do know that it becomes a mining world wasteland. So, great improvement love you made to it. <laughs> we love rocks. I mean, hey, but things aren't trying to kill you anymore. At least not intentionally. Yeah. Right? Now it's just the cold bleakness of, you know, the uncaring void. Sure. 
<laughs> Look, no more planet, just an asteroid field now. <laughs> Are you happy, Alderanians? No more. <laughs> I did you a favor. It's so much easier to exploit your mineral wealth. <laughs> Deafening silence. Typical. Yeah. Speak up if you object. All right. So then the next thing to do is to create the brief. And that is, as a GM planning this next arc, what is the information that you are going to present to the player group to get buy-in to actually play this thing, right? So you are going to recap in some manner, but not necessarily all of that information needs to be related to the players. As a GM, some of that you might just hold close to the vest because it will be like it could be a surprise or a reveal in part two something that was of minor importance in part one and that it might spoil it if you're like oh do you remember this thing this very minor thing that is probably you probably overlooked you should remember that this is big i mean not big it's not big just remember it though it's it's players. There's no no Just twist is care. better than the major <laughs> thing you forgot about in the campaign <laughs> being a major thing yet again, and you just forgot. <laughs> no, no more just desserts than just oops, we forgot. <laughs> uh, and our players, our, our characters would have forgotten too. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're all self-involved jerks. Um, but you also want to make sure that you're covering and, and sort of establishing and getting buy into the premise of this game, right? So how does it relate to the end of the last campaign and what's different about this game? What will we be doing? What is our genre? What system are we using? What are we trying to accomplish in this game? Right. And I think that includes some of the sort of like meta narrative stuff of like, you know, when we started morning glory Two, um, or uh, gates of morning rather like, we held true that the events of morning glory were immutable, right? We couldn't do anything that would jeopardize those events having happened as they occurred, right? You mostly accomplish this by just keeping us far away from those players, but like, or from those characters, but you know, that's because you knew your players. Yes. Right. Oh, uh, let's uh, try to get into some timey wimey stuff. Huh? Huh? No, no. <laughs> Um, we and, you know, it, it sets it sets parameters on like what you as players know that your characters can accomplish, right? It's sort of like um, uh, a Fortune in the Dark flashback, right? So mm -hmm. when you do a flashback, you know that you can't change a thing that has already been established in the fiction of the present. Right. Right. So like that's off limits. Even if you attempted it, it would automatically fail because it it's not true, you right. know? Um, and in, in sort of in the same way, like you want to make sure that everyone's very clearly on the same page about like what they're getting themselves into. So like if you say, hey, let's continue Dynasty Unwarranted, if you don't provide any more information, I am automatically going to assume that it's, you know, more rogue tradering, more pirates in space, which well, we've already established is just one of the ways that the campaign could go. Right. I mean... In that case specifically, if you don't assume that the first thing you're doing is killing your old characters, then I don't know how to help you. <laughs> You've learned nothing. <laughs> but I spent so long making myself unkillable. <laughs> Indeed. 
<laughs> and it will taste great when when you fail. <laughs> Darwinian second character creation. Turns out um, it's gonna put Tronic again. Oh well. <laughs> which which brings us to uh you know the next step here is that you need to actually create characters, right? Um whether that is updating your old characters to new system, uh new capabilities, you know, they've leveled up further in the absence, or it's um you know, creating new characters that have ties to the old world, um, whatever that is, like you need to actually sit down and do that. Yeah, and and this is where it's important to know things like, are we playing the same genre, right? If the original campaign was, if the premise was, hey, it's a heist. So when we did session zero, we all went like around the table and we're like, great, we'll each have a different specialty because obviously this is like Ocean 6, right? Uh, are we still doing, is it another heist? Right. If so, then I guess, you know, the the round table of characters we created the first time works just fine. If, if this is not a heist film anymore, then we probably need some change in the party makeup or entirely new characters or whatever. Or or maybe it's the same characters, but we have totally different goals and we are, it is us again, but we are not doing a heist. Now we have to, I don't know, live with the consequences of our mistakes. It's a jailbreak, right? Now it's prison break because we got right. caught. Yeah. So whether you're playing the old characters or new characters, you need to make sure that you have goals that fit the theme of the game that you're going to be playing and that you establish some type of relationship to characters that already exist in the world, right? Whether that's because I am a character that already exists in the world or it's because, you know, I, I work with the same fence that, you know, our prior characters did, right? Or we're members of the same organization or whatever it is, right? Like you need some way to firmly connect any new character into the existing fiction of the world. Yeah. And, you know, you can be a totally unrelated character that has no ties to anything that's already been established. But what that means is that's kind of your connection, right? So like if we had a fence and they're gone now, and your character is a fence, well, then the way that you relate to the other characters is that you're not the old fence, right? Right. <laughs> yes, true. You can be the, uh, you can be a silhouette of a character if you would like. And, you know, the first couple sessions are us being like, do you do this thing like they did? Yeah, definitely don't trust new guy. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I. You seem like a worse version, a knockoff, if you will. Yeah. Oh, Badger, but, Badger did it better, you know? Yeah. But then, you know, that's your opportunity to surprise them with actually being competent. And then they remember that Badger was completely incompetent. Right. <laughs> More fun if it's uh, your old character. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, that guy sucked. The, the last crew who led this vessel just didn't do any maintenance. <laughs> They just let orcs in the engines? We have repair bills out the nose. We're (laughs) insolvent. Uh, And so this naturally leads directly into uh, ways that you can incorporate new players, right? Because, of course, you know, real life intervenes or changes the makeup of your group or whatever. You may have added people. You may have lost some people. You may have switched them out, whatever. If you have people who didn't play that old campaign, you want to be able to incorporate them pretty seamlessly or at least pretty quickly 
And of mm-hmm. course, you know, one good way to do that is they play they play a new character, but that character has ties, right? It's, it actually would be very convenient to have, if we had like a new player come on board, have them play the new rogue trader, the descendant of Silva, right? And that centers them in the narrative automatically where all the rest of us have like real life shared history. This person doesn't, but their character does. Yep. Or they can just be new, new, totally new. They can be new. Yeah, they can They can be entirely new introduction to it, in which case, you know, they need to understand uh, the, the world's background more than the specific story background. But you do want to tread lightly on this because, like, if a lot of the payoff of the, you know, reboot campaign is in the acknowledgement of the original campaign, like, you have a player who can't get that payoff by definition, right? So you need to make sure that they have enough background to appreciate those elements and then also make sure that you have enough, like, new ground to tread that they get a rewarding campaign as well. Yeah, you need to figure out a way that they are tied into those through lines that you've established, right? Like Lando Calrissian is a new character in Empire Strikes Back, and he's very quickly incorporated and is presented. One, he has ties to Han, right? Yeah, they go way back, old buddy. Yeah, exactly. And like, we know Han, and so now we feel like we know Lando. Uh, And then very quickly, it's established that he's a big player in this movie. And, you know, then there's the betrayal and then the reversal of the betrayal right and suddenly he's like on our side and now by the time you get to return of the jedi or even like by the time you end empire he's like one of the characters that we know right he's one of our characters now oh he also is um obviously he has a connection to the falcon which is itself another character (laughs) yes and that connection will only get worse as they keep restarting this campaign (laughs) Truly like horrifying. Wanna, we should play. We should play Han and Lando again. But, you know, we could do it differently this time. <laughs> do you want to play Leia again? No, no, no. I want to try. I'm going to try a different character, similar. All right, let's talk about running this uh, follow-up or sequel. First thing I would do is flush out the epilogue, because you know you end a campaign. You probably you give everyone you know happy and or meaningful endings like strong emotional beats uh in the like the afterglow denouement of the last session right and people are like oh good i like that yeah yeah that's great flush those out make them what do you mean by like oh and you establish that country and name it after yourself great okay but now as we play you know arc number two the sequel you're running a country (laughs) sorry what did you name it again <laughs> it's a cloud city. <laughs> and uh what is what is the uh method of administration? Is it a democracy? Is it a benevolent dictatorship? What what is it? Talk to me. It's, talk to me. Uh it's frequently gambled away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the title. It's kind of unclear. It's sort of a corporation, CEO type job. But yeah, you can so, lose sort it in Sabak games. It floats. Um it it just sort of creates money out of literally thin air. Right. <laughs> uh, and yet no one shows up with an army. So right. I don't know. Well, no place to land an army. Yeah, that's that's true. And we don't have ships. So right. <laughs> in the, Imperials, strictly ground troops. 
if uh, you have if you have characters who aren't going to be played as PCs, uh, but were previously PCs, where are they now? What are they doing? You know, if they're not dead, or maybe they are dead now, right? If you're jumping far forward, right? Um, what is the legacy of those characters or of popular or important NPCs from Campaign One? Right. Yeah, and this this helps establish the continuity, right? Like this this is the firm like firming up that uh, this is the same world. Yeah, but you don't need to answer this for every single person, right? You can. You should save a lot of these for reveals later on down the line. Like uh, uh, Legend of Korra, right? We find out pretty quickly what happened to Aang, what happened to Katara, what happened to Zuko. Well, I guess that's a little bit later on. But like, it's a long time before we find out what happened to Toph. And it's kind of great that we wait that long to find out. You know, because we're just sitting there wondering. And then we find out and it's, you know... Very fitting. I I will have to trust you on that. I uh, you all always trust me to your detriment. <laughs> um, I I will say like there's a there's a strong desire to like input Easter eggs, right? Um, like little details that like oh did you catch that? Like that's the same thing, right? Um, and. And that's a great way to like cement the legacy of like minor characters as well. Right. Is it's like, Oh yeah. You know, like the, the merchant whose ship we're going is going to take us from, you know, port a to port B like, Oh, Oh, we know the name that's on the side of that ship. (laughs) Like, you know, that was the, that was the shopkeeper from, uh, from our first campaign. Right, like they those got a little ship types now. of Easter eggs, those little details. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You might never even see the NPC, but like you still kind of learn a thing about them, right? And the name doesn't matter unless you know what the name is. Yeah, and look, it can be just a little treat, uh, or it can telegraph information with dramatic irony, right? Like in Gates of Morning, when the party meets. Lauren Davis, they know that she, the players know that she's Arendis Vall, the Lich Queen, um, which tells you, one, that she's not to be trusted, but two, that she's probably not going to murder you outright because if she wanted to do that, she would just do that, right? So, uh, sure, let's go talk to her and see what she wants. Yes, a character that we could not trust at all in our first campaign now became our strongest ally in the second <laughs> because of plot armor. <laughs> we know we can't fight you (laughs) so we'll just but you haven't squashed us like insignificant bugs so i guess let's just walk into your house unarmed right you know which would be a stupid move if you didn't have that um above the table information recycle as often as you want to items you know towns last names with heirs right popular npcs in the game like as much as you want if you're like reaching and grasping something like we've talked about this before prune the branches of your story so that they don't go off in too many directions right like i I like planting lots of seeds seeing where the the players are interested in following the ones that they want to and then letting the others die off right you've already kind of done that 
in campaign one. So now you have a lot of uh, characters and a lot of threads to use in campaign two. Obviously, not ex- you don't want to do that exclusively, right? Like you're still seeding new ones and letting them, you know, follow follow the new ones. But don't be afraid to just recycle as much as you need to. And that also means that you can surprise them sometimes, right? Like it it would be a weird mischaracterization if Arandis Vall did something completely out of character, but not that weird if like random NPC from a town that you happen to remember and met once is different than you recall. Um, I, I think locations can play a really big part in this um, where like, especially like, places that were iconic or like core to uh, an original campaign, right. Being revisited by a second group of characters, right. And seeing it through a different lens, right. Like, um, and, and I'm thinking of a place like, um, like Port Aquila in dynasty unwarranted, right. Like it was sort of the place where you went to trade, refit, find new jobs, get inspected by the Inquisition, have to jettison some orcs, cause a massacre, escape, right? Like, and that kept happening. So, like, if we did a reboot and went to port and, like, went there, right? Like, if you didn't do the exact same thing of, like, create another massacre and have to leave with your tail between your legs and, you know, like, ducking black ships, well, that would be a very different experience (laughs) you know like you might actually explore the space station you might actually like get to know the characters that like live there and work there and like now your new characters have a total like it's recasting the the location in a completely different way right or a place that you might have beloved in your first campaign like our our little hideout in sharn right well our morning glory characters like that's all they knew but if a second or third campaign comes through and it's like, well, you're all nobles and you're all blooded and like, (laughs) wow, this is a slum. (laughs) Can't believe those guys lived here. Can you believe it? Like we should make this a museum. No one will believe it. Yeah. Like the, the change in perspective between two parties is a great way to contrast the two campaigns. Right. Mm -hmm. And you visit the same location or you meet the same person and a difference in social strata leads to a very different experience, right? Like, oh, we hang out with the king in Ba Sing Se because, you know, I'm with the Avatar versus we're stuck outside the third ring of the wall of Ba Sing Se where there's barely enough food and all we eat is cabbages, you know? And it's the same place. It's the same city. It's maybe even the same time, right? But a very different experience. Well, it's also not just because of social strata, right? Like, objectives the the purpose of being there might be different right right like if you're hiding out in this place like you regardless of who you are your experience will be very different from somebody who's being you know thrown a hero's parade (laughs) right and then you you can also then if the campaigns are happening one after the other it's a good way to denote the passage of time right so the snapshot the, the difference, it could be the essentially the same experience, but it's different in that technology has changed or there has been, you know, a shift in, in politics or uh, the 
people or industry is it's very different or you know the the planet is now rubble you know it <laughs> it, sh- it shows that it's a living world that continues to change even when the original pcs aren't the ones who uh, have agency right right it's it's a nice way of sort of like removing that like often when we play campaigns it feels like the only time anything changes is when the players are the ones making decisions and and you know that can that can be good it makes players feel like they have agency uh and this is a good way to show them that other things are happening and there are other factions and people with power without necessarily taking it away from them it also demonstrates that like actions have consequences mm-hmm. without punishing the actions of the player's characters right like you can punish their prior characters with the negative outcomes of the things they did cavalierly right by just simply presenting those results um they might have zero you know like if if a town is reduced to ash and you know the the reboot characters pass through the destroyed town that is a throwaway line on your you know on your walk across the map between point a and point b right but it's a devastating outcome to the players who mm. are learning like oh yeah like our prior characters like wow we really didn't handle that well we should do it differently this time mm-hmm. right right oh what happened here i guess we'll never know except right. you definitely <laughs> except know I, except i know yeah <laughs> um this is maybe a good time to talk about villains. I think the enemy that you are facing off against is usually one of the most important things in your campaign, right? And you have an established villain in campaign one. You need to think about, is it the same villain in campaign two, but different? Is it the return of them? Maybe the return of that same villain probably works better if you have the same characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're here for a face-off or whatever. and Or if there was unfinished business, um, a different villain with the same goal, a different villain who admires that character and is trying to accomplish it differently. Although, although I guess that's what Kylo Ren was and I thought that was terrible execution. It's, but yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> it's also the context of literally we did everything the exact same, but like worse, extra black instead of black. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here's a here. Oh, you did. Alderaan was sad, wasn't it? What if it yeah. was super sad? <laughs> right. And also, what if we did it from halfway across the galaxy? Okay. <laughs> Which is something to definitely to think about right which is i mean sure let's just let's just talk about the the was it the force awakens that was sure yeah force awakens right so that was episode seven um it took a villain with a tie to the previous villain so that's that's good like we already sort of knew once we learned that kylo ren is the grandson of darth vader great but we haven't we have an established tie there and so we so we already know what he's about we know he's about the dark side great he's got a red lightsaber cool we're we're on the the same page and then he proceeds to immediately undermine all of the successes of the previous trilogy and then on top of that he's not interesting because he's just doing the same thing yeah 
so like the, I I feel like I I keep returning to this like the the biggest faux pas for a character is not being evil it is being boring <laughs> sure I if, agree if he if he, uh, if he wiped away all of the accomplishments of the previous trilogy but did it and presented us with something more interesting right and then gave Han and Luke and Leia something even greater to achieve along with the new characters, then like, I think we'd be okay with Kylo Ren and the sequels, but none of that happened. True. So would you say by way of caveat that you should up the stakes without invalidating <laughs> the prior events? I, I would in fact say that, uh, I think inevitably, right. You in a sequel, or a follow-up, the stakes get raised in some manner. Unless it's unless it's like a prequel, like Temple of Doom, right? Which had its own issues, but certainly didn't undermine the first movie because it happened in before the first movie, right? Um, I am I was young enough when I saw Temple of Doom that I did not catch that that was a prequel. <laughs> That's okay, right? Because if you if you want to get angry about it, be like, wait a minute, Indy's character doesn't act like that at all. That at all, and then you can find out later. But what's because it. It's a prequel. It's fine. Don't worry about that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Kylo Ren turns out that's thousands of years before the, the original trilogy. It's just they had the same names. It's so weird. So weird. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Of course. Actually makes a lot more sense than whatever I watched. <laughs> um, so you are probably inevitably going to ratchet things up like it'll be bigger. Um, it'll be worse, you know, because they sort of go hand in hand, right? If you don't want to invalidate the accomplishments of the first party, then one easy way to do that is to have a bigger threat, right? Because they that threat didn't exist previously. So it's not a failure on their part that they didn't defeat it. It wasn't around or hadn't arisen or whatever, right? Like, great, we saved the world. Now we have to save the galaxy. It, it's not party number one's fault that they didn't save the galaxy. The galaxy wasn't under threat, right? Well, I, I mean, I don't know that you have to, like, I don't think upping the stakes means, like, you have to up the scope, right? Like, um, and to stick with Star Wars, right? Like, if you just look at, like, Rogue One, right, where they're just, like, the stakes are they're stealing the Death Star plans, right? Like, the galaxy isn't at stake here. Uh, I mean, we know they're successful because of how like the movie is released, right? But like, if they don't get those plans, like, yeah, like the galaxy isn't over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, certainly not the way that like it was when the Death Star destroyed Alderaan and they had to just like actually go destroy the Death Star and uh, in A New Hope, or or you know they had one chance to strike the Death the second Death Star uh, before it was operational, right? Like, those are huge stakes. Like you can be very small in a follow up. Uh, it, it's just about making it then like if they aren't as big, they just have to be that much more personal. Right. And it has to matter a lot to these characters. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it's more about changing them then. Right. Like you can't right. have the same stakes because that means that there was a failure on the of the first party. Right. And I think, yes, you can zoom way in right? Make them smaller, but more personal. That that does, though, put more weight on your storytelling, 
both for the GM and the people at the table. In a way, like if you're playing a Rogue One game, that's a much more serious game than a, than like a an Episode Four game. You know, well, you don't all have to die at the end. That was a choice. <laughs> like <laughs> they, they chose for like we knew and many was... Bothans died. Okay, we didn't know that like an entire strike team like died in the sand. Okay, <laughs> Bothans et al. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't, didn't see a lot of furry f***s on that beach. I'll be honest. Look, you know, I I said I'm gonna play a force sensitive guy, uh, but he's blind. Um, and now I'm kind of bored of him and I don't know where he'd fit in with the whole last Jedi thing. Right. So I think exactly. I'm just going to have him walk into enemy fire. <laughs> Look, we, we need a, we need a near Jedi, but we know there's no more Jedi. What do we do? <laughs> it's, what? It's a don't look behind that curtain. Oh no, the expanded universe. <laughs> And then I'll say, um, when you revisit the touchstones or the people or the names or the places of campaign one, that's great. Revisit them, but don't rehash them. Don't play them over again. Cause you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be the greatest hits that will very quickly get boring and it will not live up to campaign one. It will feel like a shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will also bog down any type of progress you can make, <laughs> right? Like, like you, you can't spend your time litigating the past. <laughs> and that's what rehashing opens up, right? Uh, obviously, like, this is a technique that we are big fans of in our gaming group because we get attached to the worlds that we build or the characters that we create. And, like, you know, we enjoy, like talking about what happens afterwards but also like sometimes we want to play in those worlds again right um so i think it's it, it it's been a really rewarding thing for me anyway to to get to do that several times um and and to know that like a campaign ends but like it might there's always a chance that it comes back you know there's always like a glimmer of hope that the sequel gets greenlit uh is there in talking this out today is there anything you you have changed your mind about or think you'll do differently for a dynasty unwarranted sequel? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to make you kill your characters. <laughs> <laughs> that does seem like the most on brand for dynasty unwarranted thing that I could do. Great. I want to kill someone else's character. <laughs> I'm going to be too hard to kill. <laughs> you'll need a trial by combat to take over this rogue trader vessel. Dibs on Felipe. Uh, all right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Is that the sound of another dark Eldar boarding party? Hmm. <laughs> Feels like we've been here before. All right. Well, before we find out how they torture you, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M U N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes where I'm sure someone will point out that we should call them Drukari now so that it can be properly copyrighted and attributed. Uh.
that's the real twist of the new Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. Right. We use the proper <laughs> names now. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So in the Character Creation Forge today, we are building somebody who's French. So I'm going to let you pronounce so Julie's French. name. French. Julie Daubigny. Daubigny? Yeah, Daubigny. Uh, I, if, you, if you are not aware of her, um, I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, buckle up. This is, as you may have noticed, I'm kind of on a historical character kick. Um, and hey, it's pride. So... Julie Daubigny was a 17th century French noblewoman and opera singer. Also, an accomplished duelist. Okay. Uh, now, here's the thing about both relating the tales of her life and building her as a D&D character. Um, pretty much all of it's apocryphal, right? Because, you know, who the heck actually knows uh, what she really did in her life? The other thing is, though, her, her list of accomplishments reads like an anime protagonist. Because she was good at everything. Okay. Well, who was she? So, 17th century. End of the 17th century. So, she is alive at the time of Louis XIV, the Sun King, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like the height of like the Musketeers and all of that, right? So, you you have an idea of the world that she is born into. Um, but uh, instead of following the traditional uh, noblewoman's path of bearing lots of children uh, for a wealthy husband and then sitting quietly, she decided to do the complete opposite of that. So she was raised by her father, who was in charge of training the squires for Louis XIV. So he was uh, a fighter and a gambler and uh, hung out a lot of brothels, and he just brought her with him and taught her how to fight and how to swear and how to drink and how to womanize. Okay. Uh, realizing that her father is going to kill anyone that she actually tries to be with, runs away to Marseille to shack up with a, a swordsman and learn everything that he knows and in a very short time, just a few months, quickly surpasses him. So the build is College of Glamour Bard 3, Swashbuckler Rogue 11, Trickery Cleric 1. Swashbuckler Rogue is very obvious here, right? She's an accomplished duelist. Uh, a couple of the stories. She then began traveling France, um, giving dueling uh, exhibitions as a way to make money. Uh, she did technically get married off by her father, uh, but her husband was stationed far away, and she decided that she would not go live with him. She would just use his money and his name because as an unmarried woman at the time traveling around France, you can't do very much. But if you are a married noblewoman, you are uh, afforded more privileges. Mm -hmm. But she dressed as a man, wielded a sword, and would give dueling demonstrations, calling anyone out in the audience to duel her. She would handily best them. And then uh, when people insisted that she could not actually be a woman because she's too good a sword fighter, she would unbutton her tunic and prove them wrong. So this lasted for a few years. Uh, she also had a habit of sometimes seducing the losers. Uh, there was one uh, man who uh, challenged her to a fight. She beat him very quickly, put him in the hospital by stabbing him in the side, uh, visited him in the hospital. They uh, hooked up for a few weeks. Uh, she dumped him, and then they stayed uh, friends for the rest of their lives. <laughs> wow. That was a chance encounter. <laughs> <laughs> so from Rogue, obviously, she's 
an excellent fencer. She gets the precision damage from sneak attack uh, and lots of mobility. She gets expertise in both persuasion uh, and deception. Persuasion because, uh, from, by all accounts, she was uh, extremely good looking and able to seduce uh, anyone, both, either with looks or with words. Uh, and deception because, of course, she's traveling around in disguise pretty much, pretty much most of her life mm-hmm. uh, for reasons that will become apparent pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, you get charisma to initiative, near constant sneak attack from Swashbuckler, and then you get panache, which as an action, you can force someone to duel you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or or charm them for a minute, which we will also get into later. And then eventually you get reliable talent where you, you're just always very good at these things. Yep. Great. Uh, Glamour Bard gets us Vicious Mockery, which is her bread and butter in terms of we haven't started dueling yet. This is just beginning the duel and I'm knocking you down a few pegs. Right. This is crowd work. <laughs> yes. Jack of all trades, because apparently she was good at everything. Eventually, someone in the crowd uh, working for the Paris Opera uh, decided that uh, she was so good at singing these insults that she should be on the stage. Uh, and then she started performing for the opera for the better, I think, at least a decade. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, she was apparently, with absolutely no training, uh, the best singer anyone had ever heard. Also, she had an eidetic memory, so she just needed to read an opera one time and then could sing it from memory. That's aggravating. And yes. <laughs> apocryphal as hell. <laughs> <laughs> So you'll get Inspiration Dice, uh, which you can use to grant temp HP to your allies and a free move. Meh. But you get the enthralling performance combination, which means if you perform in front of someone for one minute, then uh, they idolize you and will do uh, anything that you want, which can be used with panache, right? As an action, uh, panache to charm them for a minute. During that minute, I will perform for you in some manner. Uh, And then you will be my willing servant for a time. I, that does sound like the poor loser that she <laughs> rocked like a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. You also get second level bard spells. Featherfall is really good when you uh, seduce someone and then their uh, parents burst in and discover you and you need to leap out of a high window. Oh, smart. You may, of course, be wondering, though, where does Trickery Cleric come in? She doesn't sound like a particularly, she doesn't sound particularly interested in the church. Agreed. And she wasn't, except that she took up with a merchant's daughter. And when the merchant found out, he was very unhappy about this. And so he sent his daughter to a convent. And so she took orders. She she joined, actually joined the convent as an initiate. Uh, and, you know, what do they do with the initiates? They put them together in the same place to sleep. Wow. Stay there for about a month and then decided that she wanted to leave. So Trickery Cleric lets you, uh, as an action, at will, give another character advantage on stealth checks for an hour. Which is handy because what she decided to do was uninter a dead nun from the catacombs and then put her in the bed of her lover in a 17th century French version of creating a straw dummy to sneak out of jail. It's like and then a, to, like a weekend at Bernie's. Yes, and then to cover their escape, she burned on the convent. A weekend at Bernays. <laughs> Louis the Fourteenth found this so hilarious that he pardoned her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the, I guess the last uh, the last story uh, of hers. She was at a ball. 
and then in front of the entire court, uh, made out with another woman, another noble woman there. Uh, and noblemen were so scandalized that three of them challenged her to a duel. She defeated all three in back-to-back duels. Depending on which source you look at, she either defeated them or killed all three of them. But again, Louis XIV is here and finds this hilarious and pardons her yet again. That is, I mean, if there's one person that you're going to make laugh, (laughs) if you're going to play to a crowd of one. That's the only one that matters. And the occasional merchant's daughter. Right. Uh, Amazing. And there she is. Oh, it's a bad habit. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are ranking the 5th edition D&D Sorcerer subclasses. Uh, Another tier list. And Mm. the character creation forge. We're building the old man of the sea. Well, that's it for episode 345 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.